Hey mamas, it's time to rise and grind. It's me, Brittany, and I'm back with Christian Mom Uncensored, the podcast where I dive into all the real, raw, unfiltered mommy struggles and all the things from marriage to raising babies to making decisions to leaps of faith to trials and tribulations, you know it all. Thanks so much for stopping by this Thursday. Welcome to Christian Mom Uncensored. Let's talk for a moment about mental exhaustion and the mental load. I was telling Ethan, the only person I talked to, how mentally exhausted I was from life. And I think it's because as a mom, and now I can say like as a working mom, even though I don't like to say that, even though I don't, I have a love-hate relationship with being a working mom. Um the mental load is is high and it's heavy and it's something they don't tell you about when you go into marriage, when you go in to start a family, when you go in to have babies. Because before I had kids, there were things to think about and things to take care of in the house, but it wasn't such a long list that it was too much to handle. You know, I was excited to take on meal planning for the week. I was excited to organize our schedules. I was excited to do all those things because at the end of the day, I do love to make a good list and I do like to plan. But then you, you know, as you get older, and I can say that as like I'm approaching 30, you know, the mental load just becomes higher and higher. And if you don't split that, then burnout is inevitable. And um, I can tell I was living in a state of perpetual continuous burnout before my new job because of how demanding my old job was on top of having, you know, a new baby on top of making sure my toddler's entertained on top of the fact that mom guilt is undeniably attached to me no matter what I do and what I'm continuing to do. And so I was just burned out from life, but then there was also this mental burnout and I think there's some things that they don't tell you about when you have kids that you unfortunately have to learn along the way. And um, it can be really hard. So one of those things, right, is is the fact that you're going to become a new person. And I'm not talking about the transformation of like becoming a mom and having mom instincts and doing that whole thing. I'm talking about when you haven't slept in weeks and you are trying to manage your house and your life, and you are super tired, you become a mental person, a different person. Your patience is gone. That means that I, when I'm happy and chill, I can give my husband grace if he doesn't take out the trash. I can give him grace if he didn't, you know, put his dirty pants in the laundry hamper. It annoys me, but I'm not going to literally lose it. Because when you're mentally exhausted, it's that last little thing that makes you snap. And I mean, you know, like snap, like go off, um, break down, that whole thing. Because the mental load is a whole different situation when you have no sleep. And um, I started my new job. I talked about that last week. And... um, What's nice about it is 
I like what I'm doing. I really do. I like helping people. Um, it's not as, it's not the same as my old job in the sense that I'm not having a list of things that need to get done every day and, you know, time crunches. It is planning and prepping and preparing and throughout the day I'm checking in on people and I'm grading. And so I still have like a list of tasks I need to do, but there isn't this, um, outside pressure that I had in my old job. And because I could, you know, get in at six, I want to give everything to my kids. So I was going to get up at six to make sure that at two 30, I had the whole rest of the day to hang out and play. And I think that that level of exhaustion of waking up six times a night and waking up at 5.30 to be online and then the pressure from perform, perform, perform at work. And then Mia needs breakfast and all these other things was hard. So in continuing this conversation about the mental load, it's something that I didn't know about. And it's something that should be shared between spouses um because it really is a lot especially even if it means that you know for two times a week your husband makes dinner decides what you're gonna have goes ahead and cooks it cleans up after it and that's one thing you don't have to think about if that means that um I don't know what else they could do. You know, if he just handles, if he handles all of the bills, you know, writes out when they're all due and just pays them all and you just, you know, give him your half of the money and you don't have to think about it. If that means, because the mental load that we're talking about is, um, it is figuring out what everyone wants for dinner, making sure everyone has their favorite snacks, uh, making sure everyone has underwear and clean laundry. It is making sure that your house isn't a wreck. So that means knowing, okay, I don't have time to clean my whole house every day. So on Monday, we're doing this. Tuesday, I'm doing that. Wednesday, I'm doing that. It's um, thinking about the future. Okay, so we said we wanted to go on vacation at this time. So we need to save this much money or we need to get this many things. It is being on top of your kids' wardrobes as they continue to grow. It is finding time to make sure you're teaching your kids. It's making sure all the bills are paid and that if you guys have, you know, financial future goals that you're on top of it. It is, um, you know, making sure bottles are clean, making sure that your husband knows where his keys are and his wallet is if he leaves the house every day. And it's things like that that I didn't mind doing when it was just me and Ethan. But when you throw kids into the mix, the mental load becomes much greater because now it is Mia is picky and doesn't like these certain foods. So I need to make sure I have her favorite foods. You know, like she loves fruit. She loves, she really is a good eater. Um, but there's certain vegetables she likes, certain vegetables she doesn't. So I need to make sure I have vegetables that she'll eat as well as vegetables I want her to try. Like I'll keep trying till she gets it. Um, it's, you know, being on top of the soccer schedule. So soccer's coming up, making sure that I've registered, paid for, got whatever gear she needs for that. Um, preschool's happening in the fall. That means I need to make sure that I've found the right preschool, I've pre-registered and, you know, talk to them about what their safety measures look like, talk to them about what it looks like for the fall to make sure that I'm comfortable with her going there and all of those things. And um, when you don't share the mental load, resentment's inevitable because it's not just that um, 
oh yeah, I cleaned the house today. It's I've cleaned the house. I've figured out what we're all going to eat for three meals a day, seven days a week. I have made sure that the correct dishes are washed so Mia's favorite cup is clean. Um, I have made sure that you have socks, I have socks, we all have socks, we all have underwear, we all have clothes that make sense for the season and for today. I have made sure that, you know, the bills are paid on time and so that we're good, you know, just to, I mean, if you don't do, um, if you don't do it automatically. I do some on auto pay and some not, um, I think I might switch to all auto pay so I don't have to think about it, but then... I don't know. Um, that's a, a financial discussion is another thing, you know, and then it's also making sure like, okay, you're thinking about all those things, but you also don't feel like yourself because you've had a baby. So you look in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself. And there are days where I look at myself and I can see, um, you know, who I am, not who I am. I can like see myself and I'm like, oh, I look good. I look like, I don't look like the old me, but I still look good. Like, cause I'm a little bit older. So I don't look exactly like the old me. Um, and then there's days where it's like, there's bags under my eyes, my hair, you know, I have, I've tried to do my hair six times, but a ponytail or a bun is the only way to do it when you have babies, because they're just going to pull your hair and eat your hair. Um, I haven't gotten dressed in a week. And then it's those times and those moments when you realize, you know, you're overwhelmed and exhausted. You haven't had a shower. I was telling Ethan yesterday, I hadn't had a shower um, or bath in six months that wasn't rushed, timed, um, that was just at my leisure where I could say, okay, I'm going to go get in the shower and I'll get out when I feel like it. It's more like, all right, let me hurry up and get in the shower before X, Y, and Z, before Elliot wakes up, before he gets fussy, before he wants to eat again. And even things like, um, breastfeeding, breastfeeding's hard nobody, I mean, I always looked forward to breastfeeding and I absolutely love it. I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't, if I didn't want to breastfeed, I wouldn't, you know what I mean? And I feel for mamas who, you know, wanted to, but couldn't, I will always say that fed is best. So if you had issues with latching, if you had issues with supply, if you had issues where you mentally needed that break, that's fine. Because I was talking to my mom, about another new mom and she is just exclusively pumping and I I think that's a little bit harder because like you can half asleep give the baby a boob and I think if you're like a breastfeeder you've done it um especially if you're a breastfeeding co-sleeper then you've done it um but to to pump it means you have to physically get up and get out of bed and I remember those early early days how miserable I was waking up to, I heard Elliot cry and like getting up to get him and, um, well, just rolling over. Cause I have like a attachable bass. I had an attachable bassinet that I didn't use for very long. It was a waste of money to be honest. Um, I told myself I was going to be different with this baby, but nope. Um, and it's exhausting, you know, like at least if you are doing formula, then in the middle of the night, you can literally, you can for real take turns. You can say, okay, you are feeding the baby this shift. I'll feed the baby the next shift. The next time he, like he or she wakes up and go like that. But when you're breastfeeding, if you're exclusively breastfeeding, exclusively giving them breast milk, you're either pumping or feeding them no matter what. And that's something my husband wasn't understanding was that for supply purposes to keep my supply, I can't 
skip a feeding every every time because then my body's going to think, oh, he doesn't need that, so I'm not going to make that. I either have to pump at that time or feed him at that time to keep the milk going. So in my life and in my situation, Ethan would be like, I wish I could help you in the middle of the night. And I'd be like, well, you can't. I mean, thank you. I, what, how you can help me is, you know, if I'm up all night feeding the baby, then during the day I need you to to tackle dishes. I need you to um, make me a sandwich. I need you to make my coffee. I need you to do things I can't do because my hands are full um, and I'm busy and it's just too hard for me to do right now. That's where you can help. And that's where dads, you can help if if you have a, a wife who is breastfeeding or exclusively pumping. It is taking on some of the day things because breastfeeding is a full-time job. Um, in itself. And there's so many factors that you don't think about. And I was thinking about how my body hasn't been my own in a long time. And I'm not anxious to stop breastfeeding for a while. I probably won't for a good another year or, um, like 10 months, nine months from now. Um, at, at least as long as I fed Mia and that was till 19 months right now, he is five months. So I have a, a while ahead of me and it's not that, um, so after you are done having your baby, your body in a way does become your own again. You can drink more coffee, right? You can eat sushi. You can, you get some of that freedom back. You can have a glass of wine. Um, however, you can't have like six glasses of wine, which is fine. Nobody, I'm not going to say nobody should be doing it, but nobody should be. I mean, that's just excessive. Like we're not college kids. Okay. Like we're adults. A glass of wine with dinner is fine. Um, I'm not shaming anyone who, who drinks more than that. Um, I'm just saying, because now you're responsible for feeding your baby and your baby's like a clock. Right. And I was trying to explain to friends and everyone, it's very hard for me to leave him because he won't take a bottle. And, um, I'm not saying that I've given up, but it's like, I have to consciously make the effort to try to give him a bottle. And that's a lot of work. Um, I'm going to, in my head, tell myself, let me try and do it sometime this week and see what he does. And he might go straight to sippy cups. Um, he doesn't like the bottle at all. He'll drink like a little bit, but he won't be full. He won't be satisfied and he will be angry. So it's your body really isn't your own for like three years. Like you get pregnant, you're pregnant for pretty much a year. And then if you breastfeed for a year or two, that's like three years where your body's not your own. And I've especially felt it because I had gestational diabetes. So not only could I had not eat whatever I wanted, I was eating, you know, a pretty strict schedule and a pretty strict things. Because the thing with gestational diabetes, you can't do, go too far between meals. And so I would be eating sometimes and I wouldn't be hungry. And that would be, that would suck. That's the worst feeling. And then I had to give myself insulin at night. And it was just like, oh my gosh, that sucked. And so then I go from not being able to eat what I want to, you know, giving myself insulin to now I'm breastfeeding. But guess what? Cheese makes Elliot gassy. So now I can't eat my favorite food still. So, yeah, your body and babies, it's a journey. Um, Elliot's currently teething and it is like World War III in my house just because he's usually such a happy baby and he's been just like more fussy, like he'll play for a while and um, when his teeth really start to bother him, it's like there's no consoling him. 
So motherhood is always like an uphill battle. It's always a journey. Um, but we're doing the darn thing. Um, if you watch The Bachelor, you guys know. Oh my gosh, guys, The Bachelor. This is not a TV show podcast. But I would love to talk about this last season of The Bachelor. Um, but I'm not going to do that right now. It's not the time or place. But continuing on with just motherhood and struggles and life and um, decisions I feel like the biggest thing that all of us moms suffer with is mom guilt. And it's something that like you have to consciously battle. At least I have to consciously like battle it and like push it to the side. Um, I don't really get mom guilt for taking a shower now. I don't. I think maybe when Elliot was first born, I felt that way. Now I can be like, hey, babe, take him. Go up for 20 minutes and take a shower or whatever and then feel nothing of it. Um just because I, I feel like Elliot does see me so much and I am holding him so much that I'm like, this time with your dad is needed. Like you guys need to bond, hold him while I go shower and uh, play around in my closet because it's spring. So it's time for a whole new wardrobe and I'm super excited for it. And luckily Mia has reached this golden age. I say that I'm not going on wood right now where she last summer was in So last summer, Mia turned two and the way her sizing worked was in the early spring, she was, she could fit a two T and a three T as the summer went on, she could fit three T and four T. And I bought a good amount of four T stuff, like shorts and things that ended up being too big, like old Navy. If you're shopping, if you're shopping for kid clothes, I could give you the rundown of like what fits small, what fits big, but old Navy generally fits big and lasts a, a long long time and so for for Mia I um she had 4t clothing like some shorts um her shirts shirts can always be like long they're not like super long um 3t's still fitter they're just a little bit shorter than 4t's some 4t's are like extra big depending on like if you buy it from like a random custom website or whatever um but luckily, she has a good number of 4T outfits that either she didn't wear, she wore once, or they're still like in good shape that she's going to be able to wear them this summer because she's still in 4T. And even if she does grow a little bit, she will probably be in 4T for the whole summer. Now, the tricky thing is Elliot. So Elliot is currently in size 12 months clothing. He's five months, he's five months old, guys. He's in size 12 months. Um, and they fit him pretty good. Some of it is a little long. Some of it um, fits him really good. And so I'm assuming by summer, he'll be in 18 months. But there's the possibility of him going to 24 months as well. And the, the thing about shopping with babies that's fun and sucks is like right now, um, like I love Macy's for boys clothes. I love H&M. My friend Maya told me to check out H&M and I did for Elliot because I'm tired of dinosaurs and monster trucks and whatever else um, for boys clothes. And so I'm buying stuff now for the summer. Um, and, you know, summer is like, uh, like two months away, like a month or two away when the weather starts to get really warm again. And I don't know what to do for him. So I'm bought, it's like, I need to really wait until it's warm to buy him some shorts, like maybe get two pairs of shorts, um, like get a pair in 12 months and like two pairs in 18 months and see like, as, 
as it gets warmer what size he really is and then buy but I hate to do that like with Mia because of her size right now I can buy a bunch of clothes for the summer and she'll be fine unless she like really grows she will fit it she Mia is tall but she's slender so um like I don't think the only thing she could do is get taller but it wouldn't affect her wearing shorts like her waist wouldn't be bigger so anyway um what I'm struggling with right now is the is figuring out what to do for Elliot in summer clothes bought him a summer hat bought sunscreen but does anyone know how long sunscreen lasts I found a bottle from last year and I was like I don't know if this is good or not so I bought a new bottle because I was like okay well it's a new year I don't want my kids to get sunburned they are white presenting um so they are I wouldn't say they're pale though um Mia can tan and I can tell Elliot's gonna tan well I tan very well even Ethan tans pretty well so we're a tannin family, but buying the sunscreen, I do baby Gannics. Um, I'm open to trying some other ones. There's this Australian company that has a good one I want to try, but uh, I don't do like banana boat, sun boat, any of those kinds. Um, they're not that good for your babes. Um, and I don't even think baby Gannics is the best, but it's what I needed it like the next day I looked at the weather and I was like oh it's gonna be like 77 I need to get some sunscreen we're gonna be out um so there's all of that so another thing I want to talk about is something that I struggle with when having young kids is figuring out travel and even figuring out daytime activities now I have friends in my mom group whose kids do not nap on a schedule like they don't have a scheduled nap every day they kind of just nap when they want to. And Elliot is is six months old. And I will say, I don't, I don't look at the clock and go, okay, it's 11 o'clock. Let me put you down for a nap. Um, I kind of just wait for him to start giving me some cues that he's getting tired. He starts rubbing his eyes. He yawns. Um, it's been a while since he's been awake. Um, maybe it's been like two hours. And I'm like, hmm, you've been up for two hours. Are you starting to get sleepy? two, three hours, depending. Three hours is actually like a pretty long stretch for him to be awake without some sort of nap. So, um, I have struggled and I struggled with Mia was, you know, for instance, on Saturday, we went to an Easter egg hunt through our church and some other cool partners. And then we went to my mom's house and then we went to my grandmother's house and we sat on the, you know, the patio, the the deck or whatever and like hung out outside and then we went home so Mia never napped in that whole afternoon and she didn't really take a nap until it was like five o'clock and she fell asleep in the car and obviously for that night she crashed with Elliot he's a baby so he he'll sleep whenever he gets tired enough if I you know feed him and cuddle him he'll go to sleep but I remember being so specific about, well, we can't go to the zoo or we can't go here or there at these specific times because it runs into nap time. And there's two things I want to say about that. There's two types of parents, parents that don't care, parents that really care. And um, it does become a struggle when your kids are, you know, between the ages of born to like four when they're taking naps still. Um, Because you know, if you skip a nap, what you have to understand, if I allow my child to skip a nap, 
I am sacrificing to spend time with you. Like if I'm hanging out with a friend or going to do something, I am sacrificing my sanity because later it all hell's going to break loose and it's going to be meltdowns. It's going to be crying. It's going to be still figuring out meals. But something I will say is that you can't, you know, memories last forever. And so sometimes you have to say, screw the nap or screw the schedule. We're going to do this. Um, not every day. It's good to have some structure. Kids do best um, with structure. Studies show, and it, it's true, um, that kids do better with structure and just knowing what's going to happen next. But it's okay to be like on Fridays, we, we don't listen to our rule about naps and we go do something because memories are ultimately more important. So I just wanted to say that piece about naps. But I will say something else. On Saturday, we were a part of the magic show. And um, on Friday, this this really sweet woman from our church texted us, texted me and was like, hey, we need a mother-daughter duo for the magic show. And I was like, okay, cool. Me and Mia will do it. And I was really shy when I was Mia's age. Like, I would cry to go up on stage. Mia is shy, too. So all of Friday, I'm like, we're going to the Easter egg hunt tomorrow. We're going to be in a magic show. And then my mom suggested show her a YouTube video of a magic show. So I did that. And I'm like, we're going to get on stage. It's going to be in front of some people. We're going to do magic. And, like, she's kind of excited but not really getting it. Come the day of, she does really good. So she's shy at first. She's on stage. She doesn't want to talk to the magician. She doesn't know him. But eventually she gets it. Like she she figures it out and she does the trick. And I was like, wow, kids really do better than if I would have randomly just showed up there and been like, okay, we're getting on stage in front of these people. And then afterwards, Mia um, talked a whole bunch about how she was in a magic show. It was super cute. But there's just all these little things about parenting you don't think about. Also, Mia is in the why stage or what does that mean stage. She doesn't say why, but if she doesn't get something, she'll say what does that mean. Sometimes she'll say why. And it's hard to explain certain things to kids and certain concepts. And it's just so fun. Like, this is such a fun and funny age. Like, she will be three and like two months. It's March, April, May, June. It's like three months. And, um... Or like four months. She'll, she'll be three in July. And so it's like a really fun, fun age. And now I'm debating. And here's where I'm going to need your advice. When do I do Disney? Okay. I'll t- let me talk to you about planning a trip to Disney with kids and what I'm thinking. And then you guys can like comment on the post and tell me what you guys do about Disney and what you do with life in general. And we'll figure it out. So we are debating on if we're going to go to Disney World between now and October. And typically, I would like to plan for a bigger trip like Disney a year or two in advance because it's just a financial undertaking. And it's a financial undertaking because Disney, the tickets to get into Disney is expensive. And I like to, when I go on vacation, I like to not think about money or budget. I like to be able to... Like, I don't want to go to Disney and be like, oh, we can only get one or two things. That's the smart thing to do. I want to go to Disney, and if I want something, I'm getting it. If she wants something, we're getting it. And so, and Disney World's pretty expensive. So we're at a weird place where um, Elliot is a baby, and Mia is almost three. Now, I went to Disney World when I was three, and I will tell you, I see the pictures of it and I very very vaguely remember it um oh no I went to Disneyland when I was there I went to Disney World when I was four um because we used to live in California 
so it was Disneyland at three and even at two I think um because it was probably like an hour flight to get there or something if that and so I'm debating on if now's a good time to go to Disney and this is what I think I think that if I wait a year Elliot will be right around one and Mia will be almost four and I guess ultimately it doesn't matter if I wait a year or if I I don't because either way, Elliot is still stroller bound. The only reason why I think Disney would be easy or this year is because Elliot is still a baby baby. And so he'll hang out in the stroller, will walk around, and he will kind of do nothing as he gets older and starts wanting to like get out the stroller which inevitably he's a baby babies want to be held babies want to get up babies don't want to stay in strollers but for the most part I'm thinking well as we walk through the parks and do things he'll sleep and all of that so but then there's a whole point of there's a whole coronavirus so do I even risk going to Disney and risk going to Florida so ultimately I think that between the ages of born and, and like one, next year he will be one around this time. It won't be that much of a difference. It's good because I'd rather not wait until they're both old enough to remember it. I'd rather just do Disney again because Ethan was like, my husband was like, well, why would we go to Disney World now? Mia is three, Elliot's a baby. They're not going to remember this. And I was like, no, they won't, but I will. And Mia might remember it. And it's really sweet and really cute to take them when they're little and they're like, are cu- like I can dress her up super cute. She still has like a little baby voice. Um, like her voice is still high and like, I don't know, like still really cute and sweet. That is just like for the memories and for the videos, we have to go to Disney. But because of COVID, I don't know, like maybe once everyone's fully vaccinated, maybe we'll go and the kids can't even get vaccinated. So it's like, I don't even know what to do about that so I want to know your opinions on like the best times one of the year to go to Disney and then two like what ages you would go to Disney or if it's like if you want to go you're just going to go because most people are like if I want to go I'll just suffer and go like if it's going to be hard because the other thing is now I'm getting on an airplane with two kids and that's the part that I don't like about going to Disney is I would have to decide either we're driving with two children which we drove to Disney World when I was, after we first got married. And, well, not just specifically to Disney World. We drove to Florida, but ended up going to, like, Disney and stuff. And it was horrible. Like, it's a long drive. And um, it's not like an eight-hour drive, which we're going to do with the kids. It's not like you could overnight it a little bit. No, it's, like, a long drive. And then I feel a little bit weird about taking, like, a train and an airplane because that feels more germy and what I've said for travel this year I guess I just kind of worked through my whole decision making on the podcast is that we're going to wait till next year when things feel a little bit better we can make a different decision um is I'm okay with traveling if I'm literally leaving my house getting in my car from my car going straight to our vacation house at our vacation house, you know, everything will be clean and disinfected. And then we're doing whatever we're doing. It's not like we're taking public transportation. It's not like we're being inside a place with a bunch of people. We're literally going from our car to our new house or to the vacation place. So that's how I feel about vacationing this summer. And Elliot's like waking up as I speak. So I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about 
some of the weird things about motherhood in 2021. Um, do you guys feel like it's still 20, like 2020 didn't even happen? I feel like I keep wanting to say it's 2020. Um, even though it's 2021, it feels like 2020 didn't even happen, even though it did and it was wild. But uh, I think I've mentioned before how the reason why I wanted to um, stay home was because of a lot of different, a long list of reasons. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, I think you can relate to the reasons why. I feel like if someone's going to watch my child, it might as well be me, right? That's how I felt. I felt like um, they're only little ones, so I want to soak it all in. Um, and I felt like, you know, here's where I'm going to be raw and real. I felt like the best moms were stay at home moms. Um, and I'm going to kind of talk about that and not say that being one mom or the one way or the other is better. But for me, I really did feel like I wasn't a good mom because I wasn't staying at home. When I had Mia, I felt like I wasn't a good mom because I wasn't staying at home. I felt like it said something about status. Like if you can financially do it, you are you know, superior. Um, I thought it said something about the level of momming and all of those things. And I heard something interesting earlier the week and it, this week, and it was like, what's classy if you're rich, um, but trashy and if you're poor. And it was like having ch- like childcare, you know, like if you're rich and you have a nanny, oh, it's like, cool. You can afford to do that. That's awesome. But if you're you know, middle class, it's like, oh, you can't stay with your kids. And I, I related to that because I'm, like I said, in the last episode, I think I'm hunting for a nanny. Um, I'll be home the whole time the nanny is. I'm not going to miss much, but it did feel kind of like, oh, well, this isn't the classiest thing in the world. And what I really struggled with, you know, the reason why I cried when I got told I was, when I got offered a new job position is because I felt like I had reached a status level of being a stay-at-home mom. And um, since going, not even going back to work, but like mentally switching on the fact that I'm working and like deciding to do this, like taking it as it is, like I'm deciding to do this. This is what I'm going to do. I've learned a couple of different things. Um, and it's been an interesting mental journey. Like you've been preparing for one thing that you've been looking for and searching for for two years. And then God completely flips the script. And I'm in a place where I can say I'm happier than I was in my previous position. Um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing a lot more. It's a lot more rewarding. And at the same time, having the added bonus of keeping my salary means that we get to vacation, means that we can upgrade our car without really any concerns about it means that, you know, we're not going to have to sacrifice financially in areas that we were going to. And um, I was just thinking, well, I'll just say this. A friend of mine was talking about how hard it is to be pregnant and how hard it is. No one talks about like the hard parts um, about how pregnancy sucks. And it does like having gestational diabetes sucked having to pee 35 times a night that sucks um you get your back hurts your legs hurt you're swollen your face is swollen like a lot of things about pregnancy suck and it's so taboo to be like oh I hate being pregnancy Uh, I hate being pregnant or I don't hate being pregnant um but I will say this last round of pregnancy has made it that I'm not sure that I ever want to do that again 
um, because it was so challenging. And I'm just, I just have two kids, a two-year-old and like a six-month-old or like he's five months. He'll be six months in April. And it's like exhausting. And anyway, there's so much competition and comparison to things online. And what I was realizing is that the reason why I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom is because I felt like that was the only way to be a good mom. And that was such a lie that I was telling myself, the lie of you are a bad mom if you work. And what is that saying? What? And I think about whenever I'm um, working through something mentally or going through something hard, I think about what I would say to my friend if they were going through that. And I would tell my friend, no, you're providing for your family. You are giving your kids opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and if you're staying at home, you're also providing for your family and giving your kids a different kind of opportunity. And I feel like every family is unique. Every child is unique. Every mother is unique. And, uh, and each child, each parent, each mother, each husband, each wife, we're all placed in the positions that we're supposed to be in. And it's not to say that you can't change your life and you can't start your own business. You can't, you know, join an MLM. I was talking about that last episode and do well and kind of like change your lifestyle. I'm not saying that I'm working to change my lifestyle, but the truth is I'm an average mom. Okay. I'm not better than anyone else. I am the typical mom. Um, I'm not like in beautiful, super great shape. My hair is usually a mess no matter how hard I work on it. Um, Getting dressed is not part of my everyday schedule, even, and this is because I'm working from home. And even on the days I do get dressed, some outfits work, some don't. Like, I am an average person with average flaws and an average body. And I think when I look on TikTok and even Instagram, there's so many pretty perfect people, and it can. It, it can really like drag you down when you see perfect houses on TikTok, right? Or you see perfect playrooms on TikTok and perfect wardrobes. And there's all these mommy gurus. And here I am trying to be a mommy guru when I haven't gurued anything. I, I don't have guru qualifications. I am a guru at the struggle. Okay. I am a struggle guru. I can tell you how to, how I have struggled. I can tell you what it's like to struggle. I can tell you what the struggle is, but, um, you know, the moms who have like everything perfect and everything's organic and everything's all natural and everything is environmentally friendly and everything is lovely. And I strive to also, you know, have everything organic and have everything environmentally friendly. Like, I'm not going to say that I don't, but I'm not perfect. Right. And I think that um, what I'm missing from my social media feed is the working mom who's still kind of a mess because from birth to age five, I think we all are a mess and some people can hide it better than others. Where I thrive is in my creativity and finding time to connect with people. Um, I don't thrive waking up every morning and doing a workout routine and I can. So before you fitness people, trainer, coaches want to come coach me, I'm not saying I can't. I'm just saying that at this stage with a five month old, it's not my priority. Good for you that at two months you got a six-pack. Good for you that you lost all your baby weight already. Good for you that you've done five trips and you spent your maternity leave traveling. Good for you. But us average mamas, that's not our lifestyle. Us average mamas have a maternity leave that for sure ends and we have to go back to work and it kills us. And I feel like I realized that I was trying to reach this market of 
the cute, classy, stay-at-home mom who has the play dates where everything is perfect and their house is gorgeous and all these other things. Now, I'm making efforts to make my house as pretty as it can be with a two-year-old. And I say that because toys are inevitable. Toys are inevitable. Toys are inevitable. But my kitchen can be clean. My dining room can be clean. Um, you know, our bedrooms and things can be clean. But if there's toys in the living room, I'm, I, it's an uphill battle that I'm not willing to fight today. Anyway, so I'm tangenting because I feel like um, I was struggling so hard and working to achieve this place where I was a stay-at-home mom. And that meant that we could go to the park whenever we want. That meant that we could go on trips. That meant that I could be the one to teach them their ABCs. But guess what? If you're working, you can still do all those things. Um, my job is flexible enough. I could take off in the middle of the day if I need to. I have belief. I mean, if I don't have outstanding responsibilities or presentations or things to perform, I could do that. Um, you could randomly take a day off work and just hang out with your kids. When I was going into the office, that's what I did with Mia. That's what I did with Mia. I'd be like, well, I'm going to get off at noon today and we're going to go. Or you know what? There's no point in getting off at noon because she's napping. But as soon as she wakes up from her nap, I'm going to get off and go pick her up and we're going to hit the park. We're going to hit wherever. There's ways to be a good mom and to have the experiences and still take care of your family financially. And it's okay if you have to get up and go back to the office. I think a lot of us working mamas envy the stay-at-home mom. And a lot of us stay-at-home mamas envy the working mom. And there are pros and cons to both, but neither is better. And I don't want you guys to be like, oh, now you don't like stay-at-home moms. That's not true. I've been trying for two years to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, but I feel like I haven't given enough, enough attention to the working mom. And I haven't um, talked to the working mom. And I am a working mom. And there's, for some reason, a weird shame around that for me. And I don't know if you have a weird shame you're carrying around with you. But it's time to shake it off. If you are having a baby and you have maternity leave, soak it up, right? Love every minute. You know, you're not going to love every minute of it, first of all, because you get exhausted. Don't feel bad for not loving every minute of being a mom or being pregnant because it's hard. That's the other thing. People want to say, it goes by so fast. You'll miss this. Soak it all in. And I am hyper aware of that, thanks to everyone and also myself. I am hyper aware of the fact that, you know, Mia's last snuggle and go to sleep with me was the last one, but I knew it was. I planned it that way and I soaked it all in. And that doesn't mean that she can't snuggle and take a nap on me, you know, when, when, when the time is right or if it's a day that happens. But I'm talking about like the last baby snuggles, the last cute little milk breath before they have food. Like there's a lot of that you get to soak in, but every stage of parenting is cool. So don't act like your life is over because your kid is now, you know, walking or, you know, you missed out this or that. You haven't missed anything. You've lived through it. And it's a short time that we live. And it's also okay to be miserable during these times when they're little. Because when they're little, it is the hardest, most beautiful, sweetest, most painful experience, I believe, in your motherhood journey. I think the next time it's that hard is when they grow up and they leave you. I think that's when it's hard and sweet and beautiful and painful. But when they're little, it's hard because you're you're like molding these people who are learning the world and testing boundaries and you have to feed them and clothe them and do all of these things 
and wake up all night and work and make sure laundry is clean and make sure the house is running and when's the last time you've showered? Those times are hard and it's okay to say, I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to be happy when I can go take a shower whenever I want. I'm going to be happy when I can put on a movie and take a bath when they're old enough, right? Like when they're, I don't know, like six years old or I don't know how old they would have to be. I don't know, depending on their maturity and, you know, all the things and where's the bathroom and all of that. But anyway, I just want to say it's okay if it's hard. And I just don't want to shame the average mom. And no mom is average. Every mom is extraordinary. It's all hard. We all have challenges in our lives to face. So if you're a working mom, your challenge might be scheduling, you know, when I'm going to have time for the kids, when I'm going to have time for my spouse, and when I'm going to have time for me. If you're staying at home, you're, you might be struggling with when am I going to have time for me? When am I going to have time to connect with other adults? When am I going to make time for that? to do something for as an adult. And that might be your struggle. But every mom's chapter, story, baby, family is different. And I think we need to shake the shame off of whatever shame you're carrying as a mom. Because one is all hard. It is all hard. One is not harder than the other. One might be harder than the other for you. You might be the type of person who says it is harder for me to work than it is for me to stay home. You might be a stay-at-home mom and you might think it is harder for me to stay home than to go to work. I don't know if I just said the same thing twice, but you get what I'm saying. Um, It's all hard. And <laughs> the merits of being a good mom are, you know, are you showing your kid love? Are you teaching them how to handle their emotions? Are they teaching them to be respectful? Are you showing them you know, how life is? Are you demonstrating a healthy relationship? And are you, you know, teaching them your core values? Are they good people? Um, And if your kids are clothed and fed and taken care of, then you are doing a good job. And I think it's so hard when social media shows all of these cute little moms and their perfect leggings with their flat tummies, drinking their tummy tea or doing whatever the heck they're doing, whatever supplements or whatever. I don't do any of that. I drink um, a smoothie with greens and collagen. I don't drink anything for slimming. I just drink things for health. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind drinking some slimming stuff, but I don't like to, I don't like to dive into diet culture. I try to stay very far away from diet culture. Diet culture and me are not friends and uh, I don't tend to go there. So anyway, that was a long tangent, but basically I had to be honest with you guys and say, I felt shame for being a working mom, but there's nothing wrong with that. And it's like a silly thing to be shameful of. Um, So now I'm embracing my life and my position and my power and stepping into my purpose. And I am going to work hard to do what I love. And um, I like my job. It's not my, my life's work. I don't think, I think it is my work for now and it might be my work for the next two years, three years, five years. Um, But what I mean by my life's work is like what I want to be known for and what, you know, like this podcast and helping moms, like that's my life's work. Um, So that was a long tangent. I'm so sorry, but I just wanted you guys to know that wherever you are, whatever you do, you are in the place for you in your family. And that's all that matters. So it seems like the theme of this week's episode was mental exhaustion, um, the struggles of motherhood, 
um, and all of those types of things. It just seems like that's what I've been talking about. And maybe that's just what's been going on in my life recently, um, is mental exhaustion and struggling with identity. And I think we all kind of struggle with identity after we become moms. Like, who is Brittany outside of being a mom? Like, if you were to just put me in a room full of strangers and I couldn't talk about my kids, this is a good practice. I just made it up, making it up as I talk. If you were to have to, for some reason, be put into a room with a bunch of strangers, you're not allowed to talk about your husband or your kids. But as you meet each, as you meet each person, as you meet each person, you have to describe yourself to them. How would you do it? And that is how you can think about who you are outside of being a mom and a wife and a spouse and a worker. For instance, if I were to describe myself to you guys, I don't know if you guys know these things about me. Um, and I couldn't talk about being a kid and I couldn't talk about being a mom, which is a huge part of what I do, guys. I talk about being a mom on a podcast every week and on on, a, on YouTube and Instagram. It's my thing. Um I would tell you guys that I'm a writer and that I've been writing since I was young. Um, I would tell you guys that I am somebody who has always enjoyed acting. I honestly started writing to, um, to fund my acting career. And let me tell you this, there's no career. This started in the fifth grade, but I figured that if I wanted to be the star of a movie, but I'm a new actor on the screen, the best way for me to do that is to write the script and then I'll have the rights to it and I will team up with the director and basically make myself the star. Very, very entrepreneurial at, you know, in the fifth grade, that was my plan. And so I really would describe myself as a writer um, and somebody who does love fashion and I am learning and redefining my fashion since now, um, as somebody who is now 28, so quickly approaching 30, um, no longer 22, 23, those outfits are not going to work on me. And also, I don't want to wear them. I want to be a little more sophisticated. So that's how I would describe myself outside of being a mom. Okay, so at the end of the day, we've talked about mental health, we've talked about the mental load, and I'm going to just close out by sharing something I saw on Instagram the other day. My friend had posted on her story the, a picture of the word stress um, and an equal sign. So it says stress equals someone trying to repair every situation solo. And um, I feel like that goes into today's episode a little bit. If you just think about it, stress equals someone trying to repair every situation solo. So that could be, you know, making sure finances are good. That could be um, tackling the mental load of the house. That could be working on your marriage. And the reason why it's hard and stressful is because you are trying to do it all solo. and Or you are doing it all solo and you need, you know, your spouse, your partner to step it up. And if you don't have one of those, then that is extra hard because you're really going to be doing it solo. And my hat is off to you. So (laughs) I realized I say so a lot when I was listening back to last week's episode. And I am sorry about that. I replace so with um. Well, I just feel like it's important for us to all 
try and take it, you know, one day at a time. Um, embrace the chapter you're in. And I know this episode's running a little bit long. I just wanted to, to to finish off by saying something else I heard this week that was really beneficial and I liked and I'm thinking about is that you are not going to be the same person you were 10 years ago. And there's sort of era, eras, eras like E-R-A, um, eras and stages of your life. And sometimes it's about embracing the era of your life and learning who you are in this era. Um, you know, especially um, what was being said was like 28 to 30 is just like a whirlwind of, it's like a crazy time. And I can 100% agree I'm 28 now. Um, and as I like approach 30, it is kind of like a, you know, career momentum, family momentum, things just start kind of picking up. And who I was at 22 or 23 or 24 isn't who I am today. Um, And that's obvious. I have two kids now at home, lots of other things I didn't have before. But also, you know, my desires, wishes and dreams change. And something that's really important is if you are not taking time to check in with your spouse, either for, you know, 15, 30 minutes a day, um, or a couple times a week or every Friday night and having conversations about, you know, what you want in life and what they want in life and where they see themselves and where you see yourself. It can be really easy for you guys to get off the same page and have like different dreams and different goals. And, um, sharing that with each other, you know, give someone to be accountable for you, um, and vice versa. But also, it, it helps you guys kind of map out where you're headed as a team, as a unit, and as a family. Um, I have toyed with the idea of leaving the state that I live in. And I've toyed with it for a long time. And I'm not really serious about it. But I do say, you know, in four years or three years when we're buying our forever home, because I think it'll be about, you know, two, three years from now, I'm okay with looking at these certain places as well. Um, but if my husband is not okay with that, then we can't do that. Um, and I have I have goals and dreams and things that I realized he didn't know about. And so it's like, hmm, maybe I need to sit down and talk and let, let me see what he's hoping to do in the next year and the next couple of years. And let me tell him some of the projects I'm working on. And it is good for your relationship to talk about things outside of, you know, kids, but also just to make sure you're on the same page and knowing and supporting the person that you've become. Because it, the thing about marriage in our generation is, you know, something goes wrong a habit we don't like and a lot of people just want to cut and run when it's like that's the the problem with this generation is one we have been instantly gratified by amazon google anything if we want an answer to something we can look it up real quick if we want to know something we can look it up real quick if we want something we can get it delivered same day or next day and so there's no um there's no beauty in waiting for things and having the anticipation build up and having it come. Um, and we just expect things to be a certain way. And that can really mess up our relationships where sometimes you're going to ask your spouse a question or your partner a question, and they might need a day or to- or so, um, a day or two or more to think about the answer. If I said, hey, babe, I would really like to move to Delaware. I was talking to him about moving to Delaware only because I wanted to be closer to a beach. And um, 
And he's like, I don't think we should do that. And I go, okay, well, can you think about it? Or he might say, I haven't even, I don't know anything about Delaware. Why do you want to go there? And I kind of explained some things about the school system I liked and some other things. And he's like, okay, that's a good point. I see that. Um, let me think about it. It's okay for your partner to need time to think about it as long as they're not walking away and never coming back with an answer, right? There is some kind of accountability that has to be held there. Um, and I'm guilty of wanting answers quickly. I'm somebody who can make a decision really quick, plan something really quick, execute something really quick. If someone, so right now it's like 1.30 in the afternoon as I'm recording. If someone said, hey, Britt, I'm going to come over for dinner tonight. Or, hey, can I come over at like 2, 2.30 to hang out? I'm not dressed, but I could quickly put together a game, put together an activity. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, don't, I don't mind working without notice. Well, I mean, I do, but I'll, I can do it. Whereas my husband is slower, slower to think, slower to move, slower to do. And there's good things and bad things about both of our styles. So I'm someone who like will see a car and I'm like, boom, 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 it's bought. It's coming tomorrow. Well, I'm buying a car online. So it's like, boom, boom, boom. It's bought. Now it's here. And Ethan is much more meticulous and slow. So anyway, those are just things that are good and bad about us. Don't know where I'm going. All I know I'm going to say is that checking with your partner. Don't try to do everything solo. Being a mom is hard. Being a working mom, being a staying at home mom, any type of mom is hard. And you got this. All right. I had to hurry up because this episode's going long. Um, I love you guys. I will talk to you guys next week and have a fabulous, fabulous Easter. We'll talk about Easter next week and um, have a great week. So I'm closing out and I want to say, woo, woo, it's Thursday. It's almost Easter. Um, don't forget to follow me at Christian Mom Uncensored. <laughs> at um that is on youtube that is on instagram that is on um what's it oh tiktok christian mom uncensored you can follow me there don't forget to give my podcast this podcast a five-star rating on apple and um, on apple podcast that's the purple podcast app and leave a written review and do not forget do not forget to subscribe And I will chat with you guys next week. Happy Easter. Stay safe.